0: been in this little series called Outrageous, and uh, looking and unpacking some of the uh, pretty radical ideas Jesus has for us about how we are to be generous with our lives, with our time. We looked at our money, because Jesus seems to start there. We're now looking at uh, our forgiveness that we're called uh, to extend to others in some pretty outrageous ways, And, uh, and we took a break a couple weeks ago. We looked on Martin Luther King uh, weekend. We looked, given his dream, we looked at our dream, our vision, and said, We want to proclaim the good news and engage in good works. And I said, You know what? We got reason to celebrate on the engaging good works. The, the, the number of, of you that are investing your lives, serving inside and especially outside the walls of the church, really up. That's fun to see. It's a good thing. So, good job. Keep at it. And then I also said, we're not quite where we need to be on this other piece. And so I challenged you to identify a friend. And if you're a, an overachiever, as many of you are, three or four friends that you're going to pray for, you're going to love, you're going to serve, you're going to engage, and you're going you're to invest in. And uh, just be a good friend with the idea that at some point, God will open a door, and you'll have a chance to invite them to take some sort of next step uh, with God. So... We're in Luke, uh, we, are, we are moving our way through, and last week we started this topic of forgiveness. And uh, in verse 1 of uh, Luke chapter 17, we noted Jesus said, we're going to get hurt, <laughs> we're going to get tripped up, we're going to be wronged by people. That's what it's like to live in a world that is broken, as the one we live in is, So you should expect it and not be surprised when you are uh, hurt by somebody. We also, at the same time, want to work really hard to make sure we're not hurting people, especially intentionally. And Jesus said it'd be better to go out in Lake Michigan in a rowboat, tie yourself to a big rock, and throw the rock over than it would be to deliberately try to hurt somebody else. And then in verse 3, he says, we need to be on guard. We need to watch our heart. When someone wrongs us, as opposed to watching them, which is the general counsel, right? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer so you can watch what they're doing so they can't get you again. You now, Jesus said, no, you need to watch your own heart if you've been hurt. Because if you don't watch it, it's going to grow hard. And then he said, and you need to forgive. And forgive. Forgive. And forgive, and forgive, and forgive. And the disciples said, uh, That's unrealistic. That's crazy talk. It might work in your Sunday school world, Jesus, but it doesn't work in the world that I live in. Uh, I just can't keep doing it. And Jesus' counter was to say, uh, It's really not that big of an ask. And then uh, I, I went to the first two of three questions that I said the topic of forgiveness immediately raises. The first question is, what exactly is forgiveness? And I said, okay, well, forgiveness is, is not forgetting what happened. It's not excusing what happened. It's not dismissing what happened. It's not to say it didn't matter. It's not reconciliation. Forgiveness is something quite specific, and so I defined it as the heartfelt, loving response towards another person who has hurt us. It does not mean that what was done to us is no big deal or that they simply uh, are not to blame. It means we are going to make a decision to surrender our right to get even, to inflict as much pain or harm on them as they have inflicted on us. We're going to leave all of that to God and instead it means that we are over time going to move to a spot where we can wish them well. That led to the second question which is, uh, why should we do something so crazy as this? And I said well there 's a number of reasons. first of all, because we 're commanded to by God in Luke 17 and in Matthew six and in Ephesians four and in other places, we are instructed uh, to forgive others. Secondly, because we depend upon the forgiveness of God and of others, and it would be hypocritical for us to expect it to come our way without being willing it to share without being willing to share it with others. The third reason, as I said, is because our relationship with God pivots around our willingness to forgive others. We pray this. Now, there's, this sermon last week generated a little bit more uh, email traffic than normal, and one of the topics that uh, I got engaged in was, is if we don't forgive somebody, does that mean we're not forgiven by God and, and we're cut off from God and we don't, we don't get eternal life? No, I don't, I don't believe that at all. I don't think we're talking about, I don't think we're talking about forgiveness at that level. That, that's a gift of God. That comes through the finished work of Jesus. It doesn't depend upon our actions, right? When we repent and come to faith in Christ, then, then he's holding on to us. And so, but I do think that our relationship with God, our connection with God, our intimacy with God can be severely hampered if we are not forgiving others. Uh, even as we expect God to forgive us. So I went to the fourth reason, why should we forgive? I said, well, because to fail to forgive is very personally deleterious to us. It, like, if we don't forgive, that's in, in essence, that's like uh, drinking poison and hoping the person who offended us is gonna get sick. It just, it doesn't work that way, right? It pulls us down. Now, in today's therapeutic culture, uh, the idea that we should forgive others so we feel better is the main reason that you hear, right? Uh, living well is the best revenge, so if somebody's wronged you, you know, forget about them and move on free, free, free so that you can live well. And and it's, it's sort of really the only thing you hear, the, the only justification for forgiveness. There's no concern about God's commands or the moral order of the universe or any of that. It's just... Uh, it'll help you feel better. So I want to be very clear: it, this is not the only reason we forgive, right? We are instructed to forgive. There's lots of reasons to forgive, but it is a serious reason to forgive, right? If we do not forgive, right, then then we get twisted, we get wrapped up, we get pulled down. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, this past week I learned that there are four interconnected words. Uh, they all have the same Anglo-Saxon root. So one of them is uh, writhe, right, to, to sort of twist in, in agony, right? One of them is wreath, which is something that is, uh, it, you know, it's branches that are twisted together in a circle. One of them is wraith, which is uh, uh, an old word for a ghost that is it's a particular kind of ghost who has been uh, hampered. In life, they were wronged and they could never get over it. And in eternity, they are destined to sort of haunt the place uh, where they were wronged and to relive it over and over again. And so in J.R.R. R. Tolkien's you know, epic novel, he has these wraiths. The, the, the nine riders, the Nazgul, and they're particularly dark and ominous and they suck all the light and joy and heat out of the room every time they show up. No one wants to be around the wraiths. And then the last word is wrath. And uh, the idea, I, I hope is fairly obvious, that if we hold on to this anger, we are twisted like a wreath. Right? We, are, we are held back. We become wraith-like uh, if we can't let go of this stuff. So... One of the reasons that we forgive is so we can not be twisted inside, tormented, writhing with this anger and frustration. And then the final reason that I gave is I said we want to forgive because we want to live in a, in a world, in a community uh, where forgiveness happens. Because it's the only way things are going to work. Uh, several years ago I was editing a book of uh, Advent devotions. And these were written by uh, Christian leaders from all over the world as part of this ministry that you support through Christ Church, Scholar Leaders International. So the idea was, I'm going to get these people to write from all different parts of the world, they're going to reflect on a passage, but they're going to tie in their tradition in Poland and in Ethiopia, and what what is Christmas like in the Philippines and, you know, in Indonesia, and all, just have all these different perspectives on Christmas. I thought it was a great idea, and uh, like many ideas uh, of mine, it, it doesn't take X amount of time, it's like a thousand X amount of time is what it takes, because as I started getting these in, I realized oh yeah, Uh, English isn't the first language for these people. In some cases, it isn't the second language, or even the third language, or the fourth language. And so there was a little bit more editing than perhaps I was uh, thinking I was going to get. And I got to the point where I was just sort of, you know, I could barely bring myself to open the email when the next one would come in, because you could tell right away. Like, is this going to be an hour's worth of work? Or, you know, next week am I going to have to dedicate to, to this? So uh, I remember opening one from Nikola Golevsky Galev- uh, from Macedonia. And the first sentence was, I live in the heart of the uh, peninsula of unforgiveness, the Balkans. Consequently, writing about hope, even at Christmas, is a challenge. And I thought... Uh, first of all, yes, this, this boy can write. This is good. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is a very little amount of my uh, editing is going to be needed. But I've held on to that line because I think it's so powerful, right? You don't want to live in the peninsula of unforgiveness because life doesn't work in the Balkans where there's these generational conflicts that just go on and on and people hurt each other and they keep hurting each other. You know, that's that's. That's not the way we want to live. And just as an aside, right, as faith wanes in the West, as it is doing, religion is surging around the globe, but it's different kinds of religion. Christianity is surging in Africa and in Asia and China and South America and Central America. There's lots of good things to say about the Christian faith. But in the West, right, so Western Europe and the United States, uh, Christian faith is dissipating and uh, what what people have forgotten and perhaps never knew is that uh, this doesn't trend towards a world that works right uh, so So there's this idea, you know, John Lennon sang about it in Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven and we're all going to get along, right? Everybody's going to be nice and kind and good uh, just because, you know, we're going to do this. Well, this was exactly the thinking coming out of the 19th century, the Enlightenment and it moved into the 20th century and there's all these promises about how heaven is going to come to earth and everything is going to be great and we're going to follow science and reason and people are going to be kind to each other and everybody's going to share everything they have with each other. It's just going to be utopia, right? These are the promises that were being made. And that, this is when Nietzsche, the, the German atheist and philosopher, said, you, you guys are idiots when, when the halo effect of Christianity dissipates. Right As as fewer and fewer people decide that they're going to try and emulate this carpenter out of Galilee. When that goes away, he said, it's not going to be, let's hold hands and and get along. It's going to be a a free-for-all. It's going to be a bloodbath. Uh, People aren't going to share. People aren't going to be kind. People aren't going to forgive each other. No, they're going to say, this is it. So I'm getting everything I can, and I don't care what I have to do to get it. And so that was his prediction coming into the 20th century. He said the 20th century will be a bloodbath. And of course, we had numerous world wars and all kinds of problems. So we want to live in a world in which people are forgiving each other. It's the only kind of world that works. So there are other reasons, but those are the five that I mapped out uh, last week. And so, uh, now what I want us to do is to move to the third question, which is why should I forgive, right? So we've defined forgiveness, talked about why we should forgive. Now the question, excuse me, the third question is how do I forgive? How do I actually do this? Especially if, uh, I don't really think I can. Like maybe, maybe occasionally I think this is a good idea, but, uh, My, I was hurt too severely. My heart is too damaged. I cannot, I cannot imagine that I'm going to forgive this person for what they did to me. Now, before we go there, let me um, let me do just a couple things to set it up. First of all, I want to be sure you understand the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 17. So, Luke 17 opens with with Jesus saying, "We need to forgive." The disciples counter and say. How often? He says, no limit. They say, that's crazy talk. We can't do it. He says, yes, in fact, you can. It's not that much. Uh, and then he says, tells this parable, Luke 17, verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me, While I eat and drink, after that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants who have only done our duty. So parables, remember, are these little stories that Jesus tells that invite us into a world in which when we look around, we see things differently and perhaps understand ourselves more clearly. So in order to understand this parable, you need to understand a couple things that would have been just intuitive to the people uh, that were hearing it for the first time. In the first century in the Roman Empire, in Palestine, perhaps in particular, if you went into debt, it was very likely you were going to prison. Uh, And this was really bad because, I mean, prison's bad today, but uh, in the first century you didn't get fed in prison right so so it's not just that you're no longer working and helping support your family they're actually going to have to figure out how they're going to support you and get you meals every day because no one's feeding you they've just locked you up and it's bad and it's bad conditions and, and disease and and many people died in prison so if you went into debt you were likely going to prison. There's no bankruptcy provision or anything like that. There was occasionally an exception, and that was if the person to whom you owed money decided to be kind, they could say to you, Well, I'm going to let you work to try and work off some of this. Okay? In that case, you became their servant. Now, a servant is not a slave. Uh, you know, slavery as we understand it in this culture is particularly heinous because, first of all, it was race-based. And uh, there was never any way that a slave could gain their freedom. Uh, so in in this time, you could, as a servant, uh, eventually gain your freedom. Or the Jubilee laws would occasionally kick in and would allow you to be go free. So... Uh, it, being a servant was not the same thing as being a slave. But being a servant was not being an employee. Okay? There was no HR department. Uh, there was no EEOC guidelines. There was no union boss you could appeal to. Right? You were never off the clock. And, and you were thankful that you were being allowed to be a servant because the alternative was horrific. So in light of that, let me read this again. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? The implied answer is no, he will not thank him. So, you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants who have only done our duty. So, Jesus is saying, Look, you're in debt. (laughs) You're in debt to God. And and you have the opportunity to be a servant, and you should relish the opportunity. And, And when you do what I tell you to do, forgive other people, you're not doing something heroic. You're simply doing what is your duty to do. So, the expectation is pretty high. God expects us to forgive. Now, I want to acknowledge that for some of you, this is still unthinkable. You were severely hurt by somebody. Uh, And you just can't imagine that if... If you knew what this jerk did to me, if you knew how, how many years I got pushed down, if you, knew, if you knew how much my child is suffering because of this, if you knew whatever, you would think differently of this. And it's, it's really quite shocking to you to think that God is saying to you, you absolutely need to forgive. Uh, now, some of you are in a different position, and I think somebody needs to say, uh, you just need to lighten up. I mean, you're carrying a grudge over something you should not. It, this should, you should be in a different spot than this. You should not be taking an offense at this. I tried, uh, I, I, I drew up a little, a little uh, spectrum here to try and talk about the different kinds of ways that we might be hurt. And at one end uh, of the spectrum, there's minor inconveniences, right? And at the other end, there's life-altering Uh, suffering that goes on. So you can imagine down here, uh, sometimes we get mad because somebody cuts us off and it, you know, it costs us 10 seconds of our life. And so we're mad for a long time over that. Uh, sometimes somebody does something to us and, and it, it, it sets us back an hour. Or we have a bad day because of it, right? And you can just keep going up about how long is this offense gonna set us back. And there are some offenses from which you just have to say, okay, there will there will be no complete recovery from this, right? The rest of my life I am going to suffer because of what was done to me. Now uh, there are other aspects to a chart like this. I mean one of them would be did the person who hurt you mean to hurt you or was it an accident? I mean even if it's an accident, it could be bad. It could be life-altering, right? Did they mean, have they repented of this? Do they feel sorry for this or not, right? So this whole chart is a little complicated. This topic is complicated. Uh, but I just want to acknowledge some of you are, are you know, you've been, you've been significantly hurt by this, right? You have, you have been uh, pushed down by something. And it's, it's relatively unthinkable for you. That you're supposed to move on. Especially in today's culture where emotions are so valued. And and you would say, it would would be a lie to my heart if I was going to deny this. So I want to say, um, I don't want you to deny your emotions. I don't want you to bury them. I'm not suggesting that. But I do want you to say, the way forward is going to be to subjugate my emotions. To the wisdom of Jesus. And, uh, and that you may likely need to practice forgiveness. And extend forgiveness for a while before you're going to feel forgiveness. But this is the right thing to do. So in light of that. How do I forgive when I can't imagine going there? Three steps to this process. Number one, you need to stop dehumanizing the person who offended you. So when we don't like somebody, if somebody's hurt us, we tend to paint them with a pretty broad brush. I I sort of clued into this in college uh, with a professor who hated uh the president at the time when i was in college the president was uh ronald reagan surprised some of you were thinking eisenhower or something i don't know (laughs) reagan and uh and and while i was a student reagan was shot when i was a freshman reagan was shot and uh I remember having this professor, and, and Reagan sort of famously he's being pulled into the hospital uh, for surgery. He says to the surgeons, uh, I hope none of you are Democrats, right? So it's just a little joke, a little comic moment there. And my professor was talking about how offensive this statement was. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I raised my hand, I said, y- you just hate the guy. I mean, I think it was a joke. I don't think he was down on Democrats. I mean, I don't think he thinks the Democrats couldn't be good surgeons. I think it was just a joke. Uh, lighten up. But when you demonize somebody, right, everything about them is bad. So if they lie to you, you say, that person is a liar, right? All they tell is lies. They probably, I probably don't even know their real name, because they've lied about that dude. Everything they say is a lie, right? Now, when you uh, get caught being less than truthful, your response is, well... It's complicated. I may have withheld a little information in recounting that, but, it, you know, I was protecting other people. Uh, it's complicated, right? So you're a multifaceted, complex individual. They're just a cartoon villain, right? So so that's, that's where we go with this. And the first thing we're going to have to do is stop doing that. Miroslav Volf, a, uh, a theologian who was born in Croatia, uh, you know, grew up where people were killing each other and there's these decades, generational conflicts going on. So he has written and reflected a lot on topics of grace and forgiveness. And one of his book is, books is Giving and Forgiving in a, in a Culture Stripped of Grace. And he says that the first thing we're going to have to do in this process of forgiving is we're going to have to stop denying the humanity of the person we don't like. And we're equally going to have to stop excluding ourselves from the community of sinners, right? So we, we've, tended to, we've tended to say, they're bad, right? And and I'm, I'm not culpable in this. And we're going to have to stop demonizing them. A second thing that's going to need to happen is uh, we're going to have to ask for help, okay? So the kind of heart transformation, the kind of breakthrough that we're after if you have been seriously uh, hurt, uh, this is not something that you're just going to be able to will to happen. Now, there is a piece of this that is making a decision. There's a volitional response that we're going to have to make. That is part of it. But we're going to need God to do the work in our heart. And so... The prayer may be simply something for you, as simple as saying, "God, I, you know, what happened to me. I feel completely just justified in my anger and rage. I cannot imagine ever forgiving this person. Right? I just can't imagine that I'm going to go there. But I'm here, and I'm pausing to say, if you want me to head down this path, I'm going to need help." Right, I'm going to need you to do some work in my heart, and so I'm here, and I want to I want to move down that path. A few years ago, one of my friends um, suffered what he believed was just an unconscionable act against him, and it cost him, among other things, it cost him his job. And he said, "I will never recover from this professionally. Right? That's just that's not going to happen." And so my family is going to suffer my loss of income, right? My kids are in harm's way because of this. This is unthinkable. He says, I cannot imagine I'm ever going to be able to forgive this person for what they did. So we, you know, talked about this over weeks and months. And I said, uh, I went back to him just this last week and I said, so let's talk some more about where you're at. Do you feel like you've forgiven this person? And he says, yes, as a matter of fact, I have. He goes, and I regularly pray for God's blessing on them. And he said, but when I reflect back on this whole process, he says, I'm I'm very disappointed. Uh, I'm embarrassed in my response. And disappointed that as somebody who had followed Christ for so long, I found forgiveness so difficult to extend. And he said, I put them... As a, just sort of as an act of obedience, I put them on my prayer list. And he says, and when I would come to their name to pray for them, there were times when I just stared at their name, and I could not, I could not bring myself to pray for them. And there were other times when I would say, okay, God, here we are. I do want, I want to I forgive this person, and I, I want you to do good things in their life. But he said it took a long time. And that leads, uh, that leads to the third point, and that is that we need to let go of the rope. We need, to, we need to make not just one decision on this, but we need to make many decisions on this. And the metaphor of letting go of the rope comes from uh, Corrie Ten Boom in her book, The Hiding Place. If you've not read The Hiding Place, I, I would commend it to you. It's a, it's a very easy... Uh, I don't want to say fun book to read. It's not a fun book to read. But it's a very easy uh, book to read. And it's, it's profitable. So Corrie ten Boom, along with her sister and her elderly father, uh, were part of the resistance against the Nazis during World War II. They lived in Amsterdam. And they hid Jews in their home to try and protect them. And they were, they were involved in trying to undermine... Uh, the Nazis had in, had invaded; they were part of the occupied territory, and so they were they were regularly trying to undermine uh, the Nazi uh, army. And at some point, they were caught uh, as spies, and they were sent to concentration camp, prison camp, whatever. And in the prison camp, uh, both Corey Timboom's father and her sister died. After the war, she was speaking on this, right? And she was uh, at a church talking about forgiveness. And one of the guards that uh, she felt was particularly uh, culpable for the death of her sister, one of the guards, who didn't recognize her but she immediately recognized him, came up to her after she had talked about forgiveness and said, I am so glad to hear that I'm forgiven. Right? This is all wonderful news. God will forgive me. And she said, as as this guy turned and walked away, she thought, "Oh no, <laughs> not you, no, no." Uh, and she says, "She goes, I was like I was drowning. She goes, I was so filled with rage I couldn't even breathe." And she says, "I, I just wanted, to, I wanted, you know, to claw his eyes out. She goes, I, I wanted to, I wanted to hurt this guy." And she then describes how, over the course of the next weeks and months, she engages in this process of spiritual battle the mental gymnastics of 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 letting go of the rope and the image that she said was in, in the church we have a bell tower and a bell but it's it's electric uh the first church i was at there was actually a, a rope that that came down and you could ring the bell right and it takes a lot to get those bells going right you gotta ring, you gotta be pulling that rope for a while before you finally get the bell ringing and uh, then it's easy to keep it going. Um, and once you let go, it continues to ring for quite some time. And so Corey Timboom said, You know, I, 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 I got the bell ringing again, right? I was filled with rage for this guy. And she said, I had to continually tell myself, I've got to let go of the rope. She says, Now, what I did, it's not like instantly it stopped ringing. She says, it, it didn't. It continued to ring for a long time. But over time, it started to ring a little bit quieter, and, and, the, and the clangs were a little bit further apart. And then she said, but then I, I, I'd go back to it, and I'd ring it again, right? And she goes, and I'd say, i got to let go of the rope. i got to let go of the rope. And so the decision to, to move past this, for some of you, is, is going to require a lot of decisions, over the course of weeks and months to let go of the rope. But eventually she said, the bell stopped ringing. And that is, uh, that's a promise that is out there for us. In a, <clears throat> in a minute, I'm going to turn this over to the campus pastors. And uh, they're going to lead us in a time of prayer. Right now, before that, I want to answer a couple questions. So I got a lot of, as I said, a lot of email and as I was getting these emails, some of you describing very complicated situations that you're in, I found myself thinking, oh, wow, I hope this person is in a small group. I hope they have good friends that they're able to, to share this with because this is going to take a lot of thought and a lot of prayer and study of scripture. And, and I wouldn't, if I were them, I would not trust myself to make a good decision on this, right? I would just assume I can't see this objectively. So we need those relationships, right? We cannot do this life alone. We cannot do this life alone. And so you need those friends, you need those small groups in order to do this. But there were some questions that were relatively uh, commonly asked and relatively easy to answer. So let me answer three of them. Number one, do I only have to forgive somebody if they repent? The Luke 17 passage Says if, if someone sins against you and then they come to you and they ask for forgiveness, uh, and then they you, you forgive them and then they go back and they come back to you and they ask for forgiveness. Right? There's a, there's repenting is happening in Luke 17. So do I only have to forgive somebody if they repent and ask for forgiveness? No, uh, it's complicated. But in fact, there are other passages that say we're supposed to forgive. Now the difference is going to be. Uh, forgiveness is something that can be granted quickly the friendship or trust is going to take a a lot longer to be rebuilt and it will be largely dependent upon their response is it one of repentance or not second question Uh, my biggest problem is how do i forgive myself that's where i'm stuck okay First of all, different sermon, but uh, briefly, it may be that what you need to do is let go of the rope, right? So if you have done something wrong and you have repented and you've gone to God and you've, you've asked for forgiveness, right, you've tried to make it right, then it's, it's just, it's time to move on. You might need to memorize First John 1, 9 and just keep rehearsing that. So... So you just need to treat this. If, if it's brought up, right, if the videotape starts to play again, you go, no, 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 I've been forgiven for that. I don't, I don't have to go back through this again. I've been forgiven. Now, the other thing that I would say is that many of you who get stuck here likely think, I'm stuck here, and I have my problem, Is I, ultimately, is that I have low self-esteem. I would suggest, actually, the problem is you probably have too high of self-esteem, so you're a little shocked and scandalized at what you, what you did. And you think, oh, well, it's not me. You know, I don't do those things. You know, no, you do. Uh, that is you, right? Uh, you're worse than you think. And, and understanding who we are, right, and understanding how broken we are, sin is not a flesh wound. Understanding this should lead us to have a much bigger Jesus, all right? Like, wow, this is who I am, and yet in spite of this, I can be forgiven. And I have been forgiven by the work that Christ did on the cross for me. So I think that needs, it's likely not a low self-esteem issue. It's a high self-esteem issue. Finally, the last question is, if I've wronged somebody, how do I ask for forgiveness? You ask for forgiveness. Right? You go to them and say, what I did to you was wrong. What I said about you was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm here to apologize. Will you forgive me? Right? You do not say, Look, that situation was messy and mistakes were made. You don't say, I'm sorry if you took offense at what happened. Right? You say, What I did was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm here to apologize. Please forgive me. It's, it's something that doesn't happen very often today because we're always clinging to power. And we don't want to put ourselves in that position of being sort of powerless to their response. But uh, that's the way forward. Okay, so I'm going to turn it over to the campus pastors now. We're going to stop talking about forgiveness and we're going to have a chance to actually uh, practice forgiveness.